Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. It was such an exciting week this past week to see all the kids coming back and the school year starting. And, you know, once in a while we might be tempted. We'll hear a little noise from a child and we may be tempted to get a little worried by that. To me, that's just the sound of life. That's the sound of hope. And I hope we get to hear it a lot more, actually, as we go forward, more and more kids coming to us. But certainly be in prayer for our children at the school this year, for their families. What an opportunity we have. You've heard about the number that are not currently involved in a church. Maybe we can be part of that solution, inviting them and embracing them and enfolding them in the the church here. But certainly an opportunity to build relationships between the church and the school, between the families here in church, between the families in the school. It's certainly part of our intentional planning this year as uh, the Church of EFC. Perhaps many of you have heard of the famous Sears Tower in Chicago, now renamed the Willis Tower. It stands almost 1,500 feet high above ground level. That's five full football fields. And with 110 floors, it is the third tallest building in the entire Western Hemisphere. It has a sky deck on the 103rd floor, the highest observation deck in the United States. And from there, the visitor can get a clear view of Lake Michigan. And if it's an especially clear day, as I've had the privilege of being in that building, you can look all the way into Wisconsin, over into Indiana, and across the lake into Michigan. Almost 2 million people visit this observation tower every year. On a side note, it also boasts the highest bathroom in the western hemisphere i just draw that to attention to our trustees who think they may have plumbing issues here the willis tower has over 3.8 million square feet of office space home to dozens of businesses it's a pillar of strength and commerce and engineering tourism 15,000 people work in this building full-time day by day 12 million people pass through its doors every year what is the key to its success its foundation. The cement foundation of the Willis Tower is 100 feet deep with cement cylinders that go another 100 feet further into the ground and steel rods that penetrate down to the bedrock almost as deep into the ground as the building is high. It does sway slightly in the wind but only about six inches off center every day. It's able to withstand the strong winds and storms that sweep through the Midwest. What a wonderful illustration for us to begin this morning in the importance of a good foundation. Not just for buildings, but more importantly for people. We come this morning to the end of our study on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is going to close out this famous sermon by challenging his listeners to consider upon what foundation they are building their lives. He says to get ready for the great day of testing is coming. And so each person is called to be prepared. A few weeks ago, as we got into Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, Jesus began to offer four different types of comparisons or tests to show those who are in the kingdom of heaven and those who are still in the kingdoms of men. He began by speaking of himself as the narrow gate that leads to life in contrast to the wide gate, which is attractive and beautiful. It presents the things of the world, but it leads to destruction. He then warned of false prophets 
and teachers who seek not to feed the sheep, but to feed themselves on the sheep, thirsting for control over them rather than tending to their needs. He then warned against false conversions and false confessions of faith, saying not all who claim to be in the faith, not all who claim to know the Lord actually do, but only those who say, Lord, Lord, and then do the will of the Father are those who will enter the kingdom of heaven. And we saw the warning of those who think that they're okay with the Lord but are not. And to consider the reality of where we are today. For how horrible it would be one day to think you're okay with God. He'll accept you just as you are. And then he turns to you and says, away from me, I never knew you. Lastly, in today's sermon, he talks about the need to build our lives upon the right foundation or else all the labors of our lives will be in vain and not just in vain temporally, but in vain with eternal consequences. And so he calls our attention to pay, he calls our attention to the importance of what he will say as hearing of his words and putting them into faithful practice as those who claim to be his disciples. I have to say on a personal note, I have been so enriched by this study of the Gospel of Matthew so far. Time spent with this Gospel, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, has caused me to spend much time asking the Lord to do a work in my own heart, my own mind, my own understanding, reinforcing my own worldview established on the Scriptures, and what a treasure and a privilege it is to be able to study His Word and share it with others. And I trust that it's been a similar result for you And I pray that you come each Sunday with an expectation that you'll meet the living God through the living word. And it's okay that there's sounds of life all around us. So as we encounter the living God through the living word, let's hear from him as he speaks to us this morning. I invite you to stand as we read our next passage and study of the gospel according to Matthew Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. And the inspired and authoritative word of God says to us, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on this house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Fathers, you've given us your word this morning. Under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, would you direct our thoughts and attitudes and attentions and energies to what you have for us in your word this morning. Be our teacher this morning that we might see Jesus in a greater light as we pray in his holy name. Amen. Please be seated. You may recall that when this sermon began, way back in Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus went up the mountain assuming the role of the prophet. He then sat down, assuming the role of the teacher, and began to teach those that he had called to be his followers. He was, would, aware, would have been aware, of course, of a larger crowd that would have gathered around him, but he was primarily focusing initially on those who would follow him. 
But at times throughout the sermon, we see him drawing attention to the larger crowds that are around him, and we will see as the sermon ends that that is what he's doing and the response that they have to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings us, as you're following along in your sermon outline, to our first major point this morning, that the builders are similar, but... It's true that there is a comparison that is going on between these two types of builders. And we see Jesus is doing these comparisons in this chapter, comparing two builders this morning. But first, let's see that there actually are a few similarities among them. First, they'd each heard the words of Jesus. Jesus starts out by saying, but if anyone who has heard my words. Now, what is interesting is the word order in the original language here. If we translate it word for word, literally, it says, all who hear me, the words I'm saying. Jesus is drawing attention that it's not just the fact that he's saying words, it's he that is speaking. He is the one that is giving us these precious words. And when we think of that word order, all who hear me, the words that I'm saying, the contrast then rings clear with the warning that went just a few verses before, not everyone, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So we do well to pay attention to the one who is speaking because he is speaking with authority. And the words that he has are with divine authority. And we're going to see this growing awareness of the authority with which Jesus speaks all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, it's going to be a point of contention with the religious leaders. So first of all, these two builders had both heard the words of Christ. Secondly, they both knew how to build. Probably building in a similar area with similar materials. Probably careful in how they build. Probably were invested in their work. Jesus, of course, knows the area in which he is teaching and how things were built. And remember his upbringing. He was the son of a carpenter. And in those days, the son of a carpenter did not just work with wood, but would also work with stone and masonry. And it's possible that Jesus was involved in building some homes himself. He certainly understood the concept of building and the importance of foundations. Thirdly, these two, bil these two builders would have faced trials. The same description of the trials that will come will come to them and of the judgment that all will face before God. We're reminded then that challenges come to all in this life irrespective of their relationship to the Lord. We simply live in a sinful and fallen world in rebellion against its creator and as a result, hardships, disease, setbacks, pain, disappointment come to all of us. So, on a certain level, these two builders have some similarities. But there are also some very important differences. And so we move on to our next point where we see the tale of two builders. The tale of two builders. Jesus has been preaching and teaching on the nature of the kingdom of heaven. He begins by saying the kingdom of heaven is among you or has come among you. And here's what that righteous living looks like in the kingdom of heaven. As he takes time to explain that the law and the prophets all point to him, find their intention and goal in him. And then as he talks about how his disciples will live as they pray, as they fast, as they give, it'll look different than it would have with those who were merely practicing the religions of men. And then in recent weeks, he has shown us how that new righteous living in Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit will result in how we interact with one another around us whether those that are in the faith or those that are outside the faith. 
we will finish this sermon by talking about the foundation, which is the primary lesson that we'll look at today. And I emphasize that because there are other illustrations of building in the New Testament. For example, in 1 Corinthians 3, the builders themselves are warned about how they build, for the way they build will be judged by God. But there it's the manner of how they build. Here in Matthew 7, it is the foundation itself that is called into question. And there's a difference then between these two builders. There are those who hear, do, and withstand. Hear, do, and withstand. Everyone then who hears these words, Jesus said, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. As we've seen over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that to hear his words is to heed them is to follow them, is to grow in them, is to incorporate them as part of their daily living. So let's think a little bit about what the, the environment would have looked like, the, the surrounding topography that Jesus would have been looking at. The wilderness area, normally dry, very hard. What would be, in a sense, an enemy of one living in the desert? Well, it would be the sudden appearance of rain and floods and winds. For in this area of Israel, in a larger Middle East, there, there were basically two rainy seasons, the early rains and the latter rains. And most of the year, the ground was rock hard, hard and dry. And it looked like nothing could happen to it. But scattered throughout the land were dry riverbeds referred to as wadis. They're a little bit like the arroyos we might find in the southwestern part of our country. These were dry creek beds, gullies that form when water has rapidly moved through an area during the times of the rains, but then it quickly dries and hardens. And we're fairly familiar with the idea of dry riverbeds here in California. Well, in the Middle East, these dry riverbeds are hard, and oftentimes they have walls on each side, and they appear to be a place of safety. In fact, people tend to put their tents in them during, different, during the dry season because they protect from the wind, they protect from the sun, they protect from the dust. They seem solid and sure, and they are, until the rains come. And when they come, the rains fall fast and hard, and the, the, the ground is hit hard by the rain and is unable to absorb the rain. It rushes across the dry ground, quickly filling up these gullies, these wadis that quickly become raging rivers of destruction. And anything that is left in them will be destroyed and swept away. We had an opportunity to see that when we were in the Middle East, and even in West Africa where they had a similar phenomenon when it would rain the dry riverbeds became the most dangerous places to be. But those who are wise would not build in the wadis because they would have the long-term view in mind. Nor would they build on the ground of sand. They would dig down into the bedrock, which is actually, in, in Luke's version of this parable is what they say, they dig down to the bedrock and set their foundation upon that sure footing. As Jesus makes clear, the wise are those who have listened to the word of God, taken it to heart, and made it the foundation of their lives. Now, I like what one commentator said. He said, wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to talk. We know that we're all tempted to talk. We all think we have something to say. 
But here we have someone who actually does have something to say, our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he talks, it's good for us to listen and learn and obey. Listen to his words. Listen to his ways. Build upon his foundation and not depend upon our own wisdom and actions and strength. And so what happened to this wise man who heard, who did, and who cannot withstand? Well, Jesus tells us, and the rain fell. And, of course, we're dealing with a parable. He's giving the illustration. But, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The wise have not listened to their own voice, have not heeded their own wisdom and advice, but they've listened to the voice of Jesus. Jesus, all throughout his ministry, warned his disciples that hard times would come, that challenges will be there, that opportunities for growth will also come, and opportunities to die to self will also come. The wise listen to his voice and prepare accordingly. Because the one who, is stand, who stands on the rock is the one who will never fail. There's examples all over scripture of that. Let me just give one, Psalm 27, 5. The psalmist says, for God will hide me in his shelter. He will lift me high upon a rock. The psalmist knew that troubles would come, but that the Lord is a rock of safety. It's the same for us today. There will be troubles in this life. But by doing the will of God, by listening to his voice, we can be safe and secure even when life seems to be spinning out of control. And so Jesus commends the wise man for hearing and for building accordingly on the solid rock of Christ. Is that your testimony this morning? Have you heard? Have you heeded? Have you staked your life on the solid rock of Christ? Because there is another type of builder Jesus warns us about. Those who hear, ignore, and fall. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Notice the emphasis on the word, does not do them. It is possible to hear the words of Jesus and not really listen to them. There is a difference between hearing and doing between hearing and obeying, between hearing and believing. At a recent funeral, I preached the gospel to an audience that was largely composed of unbelievers, warning them about the reality of sin and its consequences, warning them that one day a similar group would gather in their name to recognize their passing, and will they be ready for that day? And I pointed them to Christ as the only hope for our salvation, the only way that God would accept, because Jesus is alone is the Holy One who can bring us into acceptance before a holy God. And we had a reception afterwards, and I went around greeting and meeting some of the folks, and one of them took delight in informing me that he was on his way to Reno to, quote, get his sins in. He probably thought he was being cute, Probably thought he was poking at me, but I grieve for his complacency. I grieve for his mockery in the face of the ultimate reality. It might be, friends, that today and for a season you can get away with mocking God's holiness. 
mocking the reality of sin, mocking the reality of a final judgment. But one day you will not. This man had heard the words of truth, but was not interested in obeying them, at least not yet. I pray that he does before it is too late. It is possible to hear the word of God throughout your life and never change. It is possible to have the sh your shadow fall upon the door of the church on a regular basis and remain as you are. So Jesus reminds us that to hear his word is to act upon them. To hear them is to repent of our sins, of our current way of living that is contrary to him and turn towards him and follow in his way. To hear is to die to self and our own way of doing things so that the ways of Christ can live in and flourish through us. To hear the words of Christ is to see Jesus more and more and his majesty and glory. To hear is to grow in humility. Now, humility is not to think less of yourself. Humility is to think of yourself less because you're thinking more of Christ. Jesus compares the difference between wisdom and folly. Wisdom is doing what Jesus says. The late theologian J.I. Packer says the opposite of wisdom is folly, meaning the short-term self-indulgence which marks out the person who doesn't think about long-term priorities, but lives day-to-day -day asking, what is the most fun thing to do now? That is folly when not lived out in light of eternity. To not live today in light of eternity is to lose out on the potential that both offer, both the potential for today to grow in Christ and certainly the blessings that come in eternity. But to live today in light of that day is to both appreciate the value of today as a gift given by God and to store up blessings for that last day. Does your life live in such a way that you show that you are impacted today by the reality of that day? Are we living a life of wisdom or are we living a life of folly? Because the reality is that judgment is coming for all. Each builder we see had a response to the words of Jesus. They either listened, which led to obedience and wisdom and proper application of what Jesus said, or they went on their own way with their own preferences and programs, which Jesus said will lead to disaster. And so Jesus recognizes as and pleased with those who do his word. The one who does and the one who, one who hears and the one who does is the blessed man. James, the one that God used to record a letter that we have in the New Testament, was the half-brother of Jesus, didn't always believe in Jesus, but at some point he did and shows that he probably was paying attention at some point because when he wrote in his own book, he said this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We're reminded here in this, in this 
parable of the, the builders, if you will, that trials come to all in this life. As I've already said, we're not immune to disease or hardship or pain or accidents just because we're in Christ. But neither are those who are not in Christ immune to those things either. We will all be tested. We will all be tried. And it is those who are in Christ who will be able to withstand the trials that they will face because he, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And he alone will never fail. So friends, don't wait. Don't wait to cling to Christ. Don't wait to climb onto the rock of salvation. But, but climb today and find yourself safe and secure. Do not wait until the storms come. But climb onto the rock where there is safety and security. We are promised in the scriptures the storms of judgment. Many places in the Old Testament, many prophecies we could, be, we could refer to. So don't be deceived. All that we do one day will be revealed and judged by God. Now, we may be tempted to look at this passage and say that it's just merely referring to the storms that come in this life. I urge you to resist just seeing it in that light. The word winds, as it is used here, isn't to indicate just a series of winds that come one after the other. It's a unique thing where all the winds arrive at the same time in a powerful display of destruction. I think it points to a bigger storm that is to come. The sudden and mighty and final judgment of God. Think of the context of where we are in Matthew 7. Jesus started out by talking about two gates. One clearly leads to life. One clearly leads to destruction. He spoke of two trees. One that was fruitful to show that it is in the kingdom of God. The other is one is cut down and burned. In verses 21 to 23, clearly eternity and, and final judgment are in view. When Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, away from me, I never knew you. Now here he warns about a major storm that is coming, the ultimate storm. And just as there are two paths, two types of prophets, two types of works, here with this storm there are two types of outcomes. The judgment of God is coming. And those who build their house on the sands of this world will encounter a great and total destruction one day. As we've already seen in Matthew 7, it will do no good to claim some types of religious works or devotions on that day. It will do no good to claim some type of special heritage because of family or ethnicity. There is only one way and one foundation. And throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is going to encounter those who want to depend upon their race, who want to depend upon their religion, who want to depend upon even their gender. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Let us not be among those who think that they are okay with God and we're actually standing on sand. Let us not be those who claim with our lips some type of Christian faith, but who are living in a way that betrays that confession. My friends, the world is attractive. Temptations of sin are real. And sin is often pleasurable, even for a season, but always with devastating results. Living in a fool's paradise is great fun until the rent comes due. The one whose house is destroyed in verse 27 is the same one who will hear one day, I never knew you, depart from me. And so we do well to consider the difference between wisdom and foolishness, 
The fool will show his foolishness, and it will become evident to all. But the wise will act in a different way. We're tempted in this world to look at things that look beautiful and they look strong and we'll say, what a wonderful building. There's so many things in this world that look and seem secure. Tall buildings, gold coins, large stadiums, bunkers, weapons, stock portfolios, strong athletes. They all seem so strong and secure, but they will fall suddenly if they're not secure in Christ. But the wise are those who live their lives in preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. They live today and each day in light of the return of Christ, that final judgment, where the consequences will be eternal for better or for worse for each one of us. Obedience to Jesus is the one solid basis for withstanding the judgment that is to come. So ask yourself the question, if you are secure, you're not afraid to hear it again. If you're not secure, you need to hear it again. Are you living as the wise man or as the foolish man? We can learn from two examples in history. You've picked up by now that I enjoy history, all types of history, and I enjoy American history. There's two great men in American history that have had a great impact, Jonathan Edwards and Benjamin Franklin. The one made a list of godly resolutions and how he would live. The other made a list of virtues he wanted to manifest. The one knew that it was only by the power of God that he could pursue righteousness. The other tried to do it in his own strength by the force of his will. One became a model of righteousness whose impact continues to impact people for Christ today and for his glory. The other came to the sad realization that his efforts were doomed to fail and he died in agnostic unbelief. The one continues to have a great impact for the kingdom of God. The other merely impacted an earthly kingdom whose time will come to an end one day. I can admire Benjamin Franklin as a man of history, but I respect Jonathan Edwards as a man of God. Which model are you following today? What do you want to represent your life? As Pastor Brian reminded us earlier, the quotation from Joshua. And what are you building the foundation of your life? On what foundation are you building? Long ago, because God worked in my heart and gave me eyes to see and a heart to believe and a desire to know him, I cried out and said, yes, Jesus is my life and my rock and my salvation. What about you? That brings us to the second major point of our sermon today, amazing authority. Amazing authority. And verse verse 28 starts out, and when Jesus finished these sayings, that's not by happenstance. Matthew organizes the material that he has about Jesus, as did all of the gospel writers. And we can see some of the personalities of the gospel writers as we look at how they organized the material to tell us the story of Jesus. And five times in the gospel of Matthew, he will use an expression something like the one you see here. And after Jesus said these things or when Jesus finished these things, it was his way of telling us a scene change is coming. There's a transition in the material that he is presenting and what he wants us to know about Christ. 
We're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we have this expression. And when Jesus finished these things, we now see there's a a scene change. We're now next week, we'll begin to look at the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. But first we see that the people recognize that Jesus is amazing. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. There would have been those who would have gathered around the circle of disciples that would have been around Christ, the crowds that would have come to hear hear him. And at times he does address them. And now we get to hear their response as Jesus is coming to the end of this sermon. Now it's translated in our text as astonished. I'm going to disagree slightly with the translation because I think the word amazed is a little more appropriate. They're very similar in meaning. But I think as we look throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see the crowd is amazed at Jesus, amazed at his teaching, amazed at his miracles. They're amazed here at what Jesus has said. Now, this comes with a warning. The crowds were amazed at Jesus, but amazement does not mean acceptance. Amazement does not mean they made a faith commitment as life of disciples of Christ. And Jesus is amazing, but Jesus wants more than an amazed response to who he is and to what he has done. He will let them know throughout the rest of the gospel who he is as the Lord of the Sabbath, as the Lord of life, as the Lord over all things. Sinclair Ferguson said, Jesus did not preach in order to be admired for his homiletic skills. He preached to produce obedience. We are to be amazed at Jesus. I hope you find Jesus truly amazing for his goodness, his power, his works, his love, his intimacy with his own, the fact that we will stand before him as our judge one day, the fact that we'll be in his presence gazing into his face for eternity. He is truly amazing. But it's of Jesus that we are to be amazed, not just what he does. Not just what we can get from him. Jesus is enough. We sang earlier that Jesus is better. And he is. And Jesus is enough. Jesus is amazing and Jesus has all authority. They were amazed, they were astonished, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And I love that expression. Because it shows the difference between revelation and religion. Jesus teaches with authority. And the people hear the divine authority coming through his words. That puts us back then earlier in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus would say things like, You have heard it said, but I say to you. Where Jesus speaks with a prophetic authority. When Jesus says, I say to you, it's the equivalent of the Old Testament expression, Thus says the Lord. Jesus knows that he's speaking with divine authority, and the people were amazed. Listen to what he says. And unbelievers can respond to the words of Jesus and be amazed at what he says. The crowds here are amazed. They're astonished. We can't necessarily know that all of them became followers of him one day. 
But the scribes did not speak with authority. They spoke in a different way. They just simply quoted from one another their favorite authors, and they, they didn't have an explicit authority. And all they did was add layer upon layer, interpretation upon interpretation that actually obscured the authority and clarity of the Old Testament law. They actually under, under, undermined its meaning. And so Jesus cuts through all of it and gets to the point and says, it's about me. I'm the fulfillment of it all. Indeed, all the scriptures. And so the crowd at this point is amazed. They're astonished. And as we move through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, we'll see that there's going to be this ongoing conflict over authority. Who has true authority? The Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the traditions, or the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true source and reality of authority. And at no time will Jesus back down. He knows from where he has come. He knows to whom he is going. He knows what he came to accomplish. And we're going to see that word authority appear, if not an actual word, in power all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. He knows, he's already said, he is the one who determines who gets into the kingdom of heaven and who does not. That he is the gatekeeper, the true way, the true life, the fulfiller of the law. And so when he says, follow me, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. He says, I have ultimate authority over your lives, and I know the best way that you are to live. And throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, then, we're going to see the authority of Jesus. Authority over heaven and earth. Authority over the demons themselves. Authority over nature. Authority over the law. Authority over judgment. Authority over every cell and atom that exists in the universe. He's the gate, he's the narrow way, he's the true vine, he's the true prophet, he's the rock of our salvation. He is amazing. He has all authority. So what is your verdict this morning? When he speaks, he expects us to listen. Many of us will recall a commercial from a number of years ago. An investment broker, as people would argue about their investment brokers and say, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton says, and then all of a sudden, every conversation ceases as people lean in, and what does E.F. Hutton have to say? Friends, one greater than E.F. Hutton has come, and he has spoken. And we do well to cease our foolish conversations and lean in and listen to what he has said. He doesn't want people to be merely entertained by his words and then walk away saying, wow, wasn't that an exciting sermon? No, he commands that they follow him. He commands that they obey him. He commands that they walk with him. You do not need to be listed in who's who to know what's what. And it's all about Jesus. And so the test of the Christian is that he hears the words of Christ. He does the will of the Father. He follows Jesus Christ on the narrow way, even though there will be pain and suffering. He depends on the divine strength that God gives and obeys the Lord as a way of life. The Sermon on the Mount moves us because it is powerful. The words are powerful. The illustrations are powerful. But they move us because ultimately they point us to the one who is all-powerful, who is worthy of all authority, the one who is preaching this message. What are you really building your life on this morning? 
Is it on the foundation of your own wisdom and education and experience and wealth and resources and talent and energy? Are you hoping that you're doing enough religious activity to make it right with God? Is your ultimate response going to be something along the lines of, look, Lord, what I've done? Did we just see that last week? Jesus said those who do that will find that they will fall short. Oh, running after the ways of the world will have a measure of success. And then it will come to an end. And what does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Or, this morning as you stand in the presence of a holy God, is it the truth of your life that you are building your life on a foundation that cannot shake, that is without error, that is completely truthful, that is sure, built on the sacred Son of God, the rock of our salvation, who is unshakable and undefeated? Jesus alone brings stability and security when the storms of judgment come. It comes down to hearing and doing. Those who hear it, show it through obedience, and they will live. Those who hear it but don't show it will perish. Consider carefully your current state. We've come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and next week we'll begin to look at what Jesus will do as he goes into Galilee, and he has a, his ministry as the Messiah of healing and teaching and restoring. But until that time, what are some lessons we can draw from today's sermon? Because Jesus is the only sure foundation, we will depend on God's wisdom and build our lives on Jesus and his words. Because Jesus is the ultimate judge, we will live today in light of appearing before him on that day. All of us will encounter Jesus one day. It should be as Savior and Lord now, so that it will not be as judge and jury later. Because Jesus is the ultimate judge, we will warn others to not lose their lives by building on the wrong foundation. Sin is deceitful. We need to help each other daily, weekly, all the time to uncover and reveal the deceit that's in our own hearts, the deceit that is embedded in our minds because of sin and see the clarity and truth of Christ. Because Jesus is truly amazing. We will live our lives in awe of his majesty and authority. I would pray, and I do pray, that we would be bowled over by the majesty and glory and power of Jesus. You know, when you're in love, all you see is the one you love. And who are we to love more than Jesus? And if your heart is impassioned by Christ... The ugliness of sin, the temptation of sin fades because Jesus is so good. And lastly, because Jesus has all authority, we will obey him and follow him always. Let us take a moment to reflect quietly in our own thoughts and mind, our hearts, of what we've heard now. And in just a moment, I will close our time in prayer.
Father, what a, what a beautiful name Jesus is. And I thank you that you remind us of how great he is. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe and wills to act upon what you have shown us in your word this morning. Father, I thank you that in your mercy and your grace, you call us and command us to repent and turn to Christ. We thank you for that opportunity that we have before we draw our last breath. And we thank you that secure in Christ, we have a hopeful future, a sure future, a blessed future. But I pray for those who are still resisting claiming to an island of self-righteousness in their own lives, that they would come to the end of themselves and say, yes, it truly is all about Jesus and what he has done. Father, we live in a sin-sick world, and we are surrounded by rebels. But help us, Lord, to serve well those not only you bring our way, but those with whom we interact this week Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts in such a way that we would so truly believe what we say we believe, that we would open our mouths and share it with those around us. And we thank you ahead of time for the opportunities you will give us to do that. But we thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you that a million billion years from now, when we are in his glorious presence, we'll still be amazed and we'll still worship and we'll say, I'm only here because of the righteousness of Christ. And we'll fall down on our knees and praise you once again. So help us to live today, tomorrow, this week, in light of that glorious future. That we would be people of hope and joy, amazed by Jesus. And want to live for him in a way that's honoring to him. And for your glory. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.